You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from student minister Andrew Beal. I was not necessarily, I wasn't scheduled to be up on the stage this weekend, but Roger has been uh, down with the sickness, so to speak, all week. So uh, Thursday morning, he said, I, my voice is not going to be ready uh, for the weekend. Would you mind, uh, you know, filling in, preaching on Spider-Man Homecoming? And then I let him sweat for about 20 minutes, and then I said, yes, I would love to do that. So uh, here I am. <clears throat> so uh, being in this movie series, it's uh, been reminding me of why I love going to the movies, or just uh, movies in general. Uh, uh, for those who know me, maybe even those who don't know me, my love for movies, it's just very evident. And uh, even this last week, I think it was Thursday evening, someone approached me and said, hey, this movie series was your idea, wasn't it? And I was like, actually, the, you know, a few of us wanted to do this, but I was certainly one of its greatest advocates. Uh, I've, I, you know, I grew up going to the movies. Uh, I even made movies, feature-length movies with uh, my two brothers when I was in high school and a little bit into college. Uh, none of you are going to see these ever, but uh, we loved making them. Uh, you know, many people collect things, and my biggest collection, as far as numerically, is uh, I, I save my ticket stubs. Whenever I go to the movies, I, I save my ticket, and I have been, I, I, I meant to be on Brinker from Home just to like, show you guys, uh, but I have been collecting my movie stubs since 2001, so I have quite the collection going, and every now and again, I'll, you know, go through, and it's like, oh, right, I don't remember seeing that, or it's like, oh, I shouldn't have seen that at all, uh, but... <laughs> Uh, some people, you know, we, you know, they get excited for the Super Bowl every February. Me, myself, uh, I, I, I watch the game, but like, I'm more get excited for like the Academy Awards, the Oscars. Just this entire world is something that I am interested in, very much passionate about. Uh, some of you may have seen on Facebook or know that the the staff here, we've been going. Uh, on the opening day of these movies that we're talking about in this series. And uh, Friday, you know, Roger, he was, uh, you know, wasn't able to come, but myself, Eric, our middle school minister, and uh, Larry, we went to see uh, the new Planet of the Apes movie, which we're talking about next weekend. And I was getting made fun of just a little bit by Eric. Uh, Eric was asking me, hey, you know, when you go to the concession stand, like, what kind of guy are you? Are you like a candy guy or are you more of a popcorn guy? And I told him, you know, Eric, I actually don't buy anything at all. And then he called me a cheapskate, and I said, no, it's, it's, it's not that. It's just that, you know, there are two types of people in the world. There are those who go to the concession stand and buy their food, and then those who smuggle their own snacks into the theater. One of my absolute favorite memories uh, was, you know, years ago in Indianapolis, I was at the theater some premiere Friday night, and uh, this big guy, he walks in, and he's sitting toward the front, and uh, before sitting down, he just lifts up his shirt, and he had duct taped to his body, front and back, snacks and even drinks for himself and his crew. And he just, he just like, his buddy like held the duct tape, and he just did a spin thing, and they all came undone, and the entire theater applauded this man. We were so, so proud, because not all heroes wear capes, right? <clears throat> uh, myself, I am a smuggler. I come from a family of smugglers. Uh, I know that's against the rule. I don't know if it's a crime. If you know it's a crime, don't tell me because I don't plan on stopping this. Uh, But, you know, growing up, my mother, she had the designated movie purse that would fit as many as two bags of popcorn and soda cans for everyone in attendance. So, you know, we sit down, you know, lights go down, the movie purse opens up, and then it's just, you know, line, hey, pass it down, pass it down, pass it down. And uh, if you're a professional, because there's that question, like, you know, you don't want to get caught because that's part of the thrill, not getting caught. 
<clears throat> but there's a question like, well, you have these soda cans. How do you open these? How do you open these without getting caught? And if you're professional, then you know that during the previews, when an explosion comes on the screen, that's when you open it. So if you didn't know that trick, now you know. I even uh, think cinematically sometimes. Whenever I'm reading a scripture, uh, I always imagine, like, all right, how would this scene unfold on a screen? Maybe what music would accompany this sort of thing? And I even, you know, cast some of these uh, biblical historical figures every now and again. So uh, my level of passion is certainly on the more interesting or maybe extreme side of things. But most people can say that they really enjoy either going to the movies or watching movies themselves, maybe in their own home, maybe doing the Netflix thing. You know, we give our time to this medium uh, because, yeah, we're entertained by it, but also because we're human, and humans respond to stories. You know, I I would agree that stories are the most powerful and even impactful teaching tool that we have. And when it comes to the movies that we see, usually the ones that we enjoy the most or the ones that we find uh, become our favorites are the ones where we can relate to the circumstances of whatever characters are on the screen, right? Right? You know, stories and movies, they have the greatest chance of affecting us if we can look at the situations these characters are in and we say to ourselves, oh, wow, me too. Or, you know, I feel the exact same way. Or we can see something unfold and like, oh, I've been there before. Or I know what that is like. So we're in, you know, our second weekend of this At The Movie series uh, with Roger kicking off last weekend with that third Despicable Me movie. And uh, I get to continue on with uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Now, uh, in this new Spider-Man movie, you know, the main character of Peter Parker, who is Spider-Man, in this story, in this character, we can actually find a lot of ourselves and even parallels in our lives of maybe some of the challenges that come with being a Jesus follower day in and day out. So if you don't know, a Spider-Man Homecoming, it's part of this massive, massive series of movies that have to do with superheroes in the uh, Marvel Comics uh, universe. And they've been making these movies since 2008, and Spider-Man Homecoming is the 16th movie in this Marvel franchise. And it's seen the likes of Iron Man and Thor and Captain America, the Incredible Hulk, and a number of others. Uh, but here's, here's some good news about today's message. If you have never seen any Marvel movie before, this message is still for you. If you have zero interest in superheroes and you're just sick of them to death, that's okay. This message is still for you. And certainly, if you want to see Spider-Man Homecoming, but you just haven't made it to the theater yet, there will be no spoilers at all, so we're all going to be in a safe spot going forward. Uh, just kind of design the message of the morning so that you know we'll all be able to walk away, walk outside, Okay, this morning was spiritually worth it, even if I don't know a thing about Spider-Man. So Spider-Man Homecoming, it finds 15-year-old Peter Parker, a high school student uh, living in Queens, New York, living a double life between doing that normal high school boy thing and secretly fighting crime on the streets of New York. And when we open this movie, he's only been Spider-Man for about five or six months, but even in that very, very short amount of time, he realizes that the powers that he has demand something of him. And something else is Peter's greatest desire is to be an Avenger. And the Avengers, they're that group of superheroes who take on the greatest threats to planet Earth, like all of them. That's Iron Man, Captain America, all those big names. And here, Peter is stuck in Queens. And he is so, so eager to be called up to the big league, so to speak. You know, he wants so badly to be asked to do more But the problem is no one is asking him to do more. 
because of his inexperience, his immaturity, his age. Uh, today's message is going to be very uh, much influenced by an article that Relevant Magazine, this is a Christian magazine that's based out of Orlando, Florida. Uh, the message uh, has very much been helped out by this article, uh, and I'll, I plan on posting it on the church's Facebook page uh, later this afternoon if you want to check it out. But here are a couple of excerpts. At one point, uh, it says these two things. It says, In his purest original incarnation, Spider-Man answered the question of, what would happen if someone who wanted to be a superhero just wasn't very good at it. And it goes on, it says, Peter is, in other words, a lot like any of us, desperate to prove himself, eager to make a difference, but lacking the real resources to do so. Spider-Man's heart is in the right place. In fact, it's probably truer and braver than most, but he's hopelessly outmatched by his circumstances. Many, if not all of us, are extremely similar to Peter Parker in that we want to do the right thing. We really do. But so often we just feel held back. You know, we feel like we don't have the right kind or enough resources to do the right thing. Maybe we feel like, uh, you know, we don't have enough money to do, you know, what we really want to do as far as right things in the world. Or maybe I don't have enough or the right kind of relationships or I don't have enough wisdom, whatever that may be. Or maybe we feel like our lives are so routine, I might even dare say even boring, that we're just waiting to be, you know, tapped on the shoulder by God saying, hey, I have this mission or I have this calling for you. You know, maybe we're waiting to be called to something and we just feel like God hasn't called us yet. Because we want to feel called, don't we? Good news is that we are. Even in the midst of uh, our greatest failures of any kind, uh, we're still called by Jesus to do things. All the way back in Genesis 3... Uh, this is, you know, third chapter of the entire Bible, right after Adam and Eve were tricked into taking a bite of that forbidden fruit, that one thing that God said, hey, don't do this, right after they do that one thing not to do, the two of them go into hiding. Adam and Eve, they go into hiding. And it says in Scripture that God was accustomed to uh, spending time physically, you know, in the same space, spending time with Adam and Eve on a daily basis. Uh, And when they broke this one command that he gave them, they immediately became ashamed and regretful. The first time that's ever happened in humanity. Shame and regret. And hiding behind some trees, they heard God walking in the garden this particular day and, you know, certainly peeking out from behind, you know, the tree trunk or some bushes. This is what Genesis 3, 9 says. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? God called to the man, where are you? And there's actually an entire sermon series in that verse alone. Because ever since that moment... God has continually been calling out to his people because he wants to spend that time with us. He wants us to be with him. He wants to know, where are you? And he wants us to answer that call. So there are two types of call that God gives uh, to his people. There's a general call, and then there's a specific call. Now, the general call, it goes out to anyone who, and everyone who calls Jesus their Lord and their Savior. And it's the call of Jesus asking you to partner with him in what he's doing in the world and in the lives of others. Uh, I look at two particular scriptures that help me keep in mind uh, just what Jesus is calling to me every day, just as a, you know, average, run-of-the-mill, everyday Jesus follower. The first one is from Matthew 28, and, and this is known as the, the Great Commission. We cover this quite a lot here at the Life of Southwest. It's very much tied to our mission statement of following Jesus and making disciples. Uh, but these are the last few verses of the Gospel of Matthew. They're Jesus' last words to his, to his disciples, and last words are always important. 
It reads, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus tells them to tell and train people in a life changed by Jesus. Tell and train people in a life changed by Jesus. And then this second scripture of the general call of all believers is in the book of First Peter. Uh, you may or may not know, you know, Peter, he was Jesus' right-hand man when he was walking the earth. He was the one he spent the most time with. So uh, Peter knows a thing or two about following Jesus and living a personal mission. Peter writes this. He says, uh, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Here, Peter, Peter tells us to walk the walk and talk the talk of living a life with Jesus. So to make it really, really simple, here's what these two scriptures are telling us. You tell people how Jesus changed your life, and then two, you show people how you let Jesus keep changing your life. Again, you tell people how Jesus changed you, and then you show people how you let Jesus keep changing you. You know, way back when all of us were in kindergarten, you know, one of the best days of the week was always show and tell day. That general call of, for all believers, every single one of us, is Jesus says, hey, live this show and tell life every single day. Show and tell. Spiritual, faithful, show and tell every single day. But sometimes you get what is called a, or known as a specific call, which has the same feel of a general call, just more, uh, just more specialized, more focused, depending on who you are, your circumstances, life stage, gifting, all that. Here's some examples. Like Moses, he received his specific call uh, in Exodus 3, in that burning bush moment. And God told him this, you will lead my people Israel out of Egypt. That was Moses's specific call. The Old Testament uh, judge Gideon in the book of Judges, I think uh, Judges chapter 11, this happens. Uh, Gideon was told to go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. His specific call, go rescue Israel from this, uh, this nation next door. You're going to play the rescuer. Or the prophet Jeremiah in the first chapter of, uh, of that book, Jeremiah 1, he had the specific call. He was told, get up and go, no, that's Jonah, next one, sorry. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. So Jeremiah's specific call, stand up against nations and kingdoms. You're going to be my mouthpiece. And then Jonah, specific call, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach my word there. And the entire city repents. Jonah had this one job to do. Finally, in Acts 9, Jesus appears in a blinding light to this guy named Saul. And uh, he's later going to become known as Paul that we know him as. But he gets this specific call. Jesus says, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. Specific call. You're my chosen instrument to take my message wherever I tell you to go. So everyone who follows Jesus gets the general call of show and tell. It's unescapable. We all get that. And that's a good, holy, wonderful thing. And most, if not all of us, uh, will get or even have right now a specific call. It might be, you know, one specific call over an entire lifetime. We might have several specific calls uh, over the course of a decade. We may have had one once and we were obedient to that. And now we're just in a period of general call. 
<clears throat> it just all depends. It's kind of a you know, specialized thing depending on who you are as an individual. So Spider-Man Homecoming, it is the sixth, this many, it is the sixth Spider-Man movie in 15 years, which is a lot of Spider-Man in a decade and a half. And the actor playing him in this newest one, Tom Holland, he is the third actor to play Spider-Man in those six movies. Uh, Spider-Man, for whatever reason, he's just been one of those characters that they've been trying to convey and represent in a few different ways with a few different creative teams, and they just kind of keep starting over. Anyway, the first Spider-Man movie that hit movies uh, came out way back May of 2002, 2002. And the biggest line that came out of the movie, and most of us probably still have this etched on our brains, you can probably finish it, the famous line that came out of that movie was, with great power comes... Yeah, we know it, don't we? It's that famous, it is that very much implanted into our culture. With great power comes great responsibility. Now that line does not show up in this new movie, but you can see its fingerprints all over the place. This line of with great power comes great responsibility has been associated with Spider-Man ever since both Spider-Man and that line uh, was introduced to the world in the first Marvel comics he appeared. That was back in 1962. So that line, that theme is synonymous with Spider-Man. And we can all agree that that sounds like a truthful statement. I would say it's a truthful statement. With great power comes great responsibility. We can all agree on that. But what if you feel like you don't have great power? Or what do you do when you keep trying and you also feel like you keep failing? Or when you try and nothing seems to happen at all? What about when, you know, your heart is in the right place, but things maybe go wrong anyway? Or maybe what if, you know, what if you just, in general, just feel outmatched, like the cards are stacked against you? You know, these are genuine questions because we're people and this is just kind of the reality of who we are. We, we have doubts, we have our mistakes, we have our failures, and uh, we don't always have these clear answers to these what-if kind of questions. Paul once wrote a letter to uh, the people living in Galatia, and we have this book or letter in the New Testament. Paul, he wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books that we have, and Galatians was most likely the very first one that he wrote chronologically. And it's six, it's, uh, six chapters long, and in that sixth chapter, he writes to a group of people who were most assuredly trying to live the best show-and-tell life that they possibly could. Uh, we're going to read the first ten verses together, and the commands and the encouragements and the challenges that Paul writes, they're very common, everyday, even unglamorous practices for most Jesus followers. You know, it's simply ten verses that many people like us could use if maybe we're feeling a little stale or if we feel like we're not making that much of a difference. Here it is, Galatians 6, verse 1. Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. And don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. 
those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Now, in those 10 verses, that Galatians piece, we don't have time this morning to give every verse the time that it uh, deserves. Uh, we're going to spend our time mainly in you know, like verses 8, 9, and 10, especially 9 and 10. But I, uh, just in preparing this, I felt it to briefly talk about verse 3. And it's that verse that says, If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Uh, right before that, you know, Paul writes uh, that those living in community of believers, that we should carry each other's burdens and we share them. And then in this verse, in the original Greek, it would have read something like this. If you think you're something special, you're being foolish. You are not something special. You are not too good to help. Uh, arrogant people tend to be cut off from the lives of others, don't they? You don't find a lot of pride or arrogance in the best type of community. Something I've found to be true. You know, one thing about community is a community shares each other's burdens, even joyfully shares each other's burdens. Maybe you've heard, uh, maybe you've heard it said that when a joy is shared, it is doubled, and when a grief is shared, it is halved. Those who have known the blessing of community have known this to be true. And thinking of ourselves as something special or even important, it gets in the way of carrying other people's burdens. And most, if not all of us, know that we need all the help that we can get sometimes from other people. If you were watching the news this week, you likely heard this story maybe several times like I did, uh, the story of that family being saved uh, from that rip current down off of Panama City Beach. Here's what happened. Uh, Roberta Ursray and her family, they were enjoying the day at M.B. Miller County Pier on the Gulf of Mexico when she noticed her sons were missing. This is the Panama City News Herald reporting on this. And she went looking for them and soon heard them screaming from the water that they were trapped by the current. Others warned her not to go in the water, but Ursray, her mother, and five other family members swam to the boys' aid, but then found themselves also trapped in 15 feet of water. Jessica Simmons, who had stopped with her husband at the beach for dinner, had just found a discarded boogie board uh, when she saw people pointing at the water. And she thought they were pointing at a shark, but when she realized people were drowning, she jumped on the board and began swimming toward Ursray's family. These people are not drowning today, Simmons remembers telling herself. It's not happening. We are going to get them out. Meanwhile, Simmons' husband and some other men started a human chain to bring everyone back to shore. Some couldn't swim, so stayed in shallow water. Eventually, about 80 people were involved and got to within feet of the family. Simmons, her husband, and some others then towed the family to the chain, which passed them back to shore. I am so grateful, Ursray said. These people were God's angels that were in the right place at the right time. I owe my life and my family's life to them. Without them, we wouldn't be here. Simmons said she was impressed by everyone working together to rescue the family. She said, it's so cool to see how we have our own lives and we're constantly at a fast pace. But when somebody needs help, everybody drops everything and helps. That was really inspiring to see that we still have that. 
I love that line. When somebody needs help, everybody drops everything and helps. Those 80 people, or most of those 80 people, uh, their names don't appear in any of the reporting, either uh, from the news desk or in the article. You know, they're not getting any credit, but what would happen if they said no, or we're just not interested, or we weren't even there? Only people coming together made this happen. And no one was too good to help. Let's look at these uh, verses 8, 9, and 10 again. Verse 8, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Verse 8 gives us a promise that those of us who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. It's a promise. It says this will happen. And it's a promise that we reap what we sow. It's biblically here. We can trust in that. And then verse 9, it is my absolute favorite verse in the Bible. has been for a number of years. And I think about that verse often, and I cling to it. You know, it just says, don't get tired of doing good, because we will reap wonderful things so long as we don't give up. One thing I appreciate uh, just in myself and in other people, and we can always get more of, is, you know, we just crave authenticity. And if, uh, if someone can say that, you know, we're discouraged or even struggling in faith, it is sometimes such a sigh of relief to say, oh, me too. Not that we don't love Jesus anymore, not that we're, you know, doubting what he came to do for us, not that we're doubting his love, but, you know, sometimes it just seems like, you know, we try and we try and try and nothing happens, or it seems sometimes like we're not making any different difference at all. I love this verse of that reminder that there's a promise attached to that, but also because you just need to cling to the idea of perseverance sometimes. I like doing my background work on these phrases and um, these Greek words that they were originally written in. And this phrase of, you know, not getting tired, uh, not surprisingly, maybe, it has this uh, meaning of you know, don't lose your courage, don't faint, don't pass out. And then that phrase, don't give up. And we had to look at, you know, don't get tired, but don't give up. It actually carries a couple of meanings. It's uh, one of those words or phrases that uh, maybe sometimes loses something in its translation from the Greek to English. Uh, it can mean a couple of things. Don't let something get loose and don't let something dissolve. D- you know, don't give up. Don't let something get loose and don't let something dissolve. Um, this is maybe an odd word picture, but uh, I imagine, you know, we, each one of us, we carry around a certain amount of faith and a certain amount of strength and a certain amount of endurance uh, in all of us. Good intentions would be that. And I just imagine, uh, you know, carrying this around, this liquid, if we're putting it in liquid form, like in some sort of bowl. And we've got to be careful because this is fragile and we don't want this to spill because we need all the, all the not giving up, all the tenacity, all the grit that we can get. And then the idea of giving up, it's almost like voluntarily just pouring it out into the sand and et cetera, and immediately just being soaked up by the sand and not being able to get back, just dissolving, just going away, just vanishing into nothingness. Paul says, don't let that happen. Don't give up. So I have to keep this verse next to me a lot because, like I said, many times in following Jesus, 
even though I'm faithful, even though I'm committed to Jesus, I feel like I'm not making a difference. And, you know, sometimes it can feel honestly just like a waste of time if we're being honest with ourselves. I don't think it is a waste of time, but, you know, what we know and what we feel, they can be two entirely different things. You know, sometimes it just feels like we're treading water. But we don't want to give up. You know, one reason is, uh, one reason I trust that I will reap what I'm sowing is, uh, you know, I trust that. You know, not, it might not be today and it might not be tomorrow, but Jesus promises one day. He promises one day. And another reason is I, I, I keep that close and I trust that is I, uh, I ask the question, I think it's an important question of why I keep going or why I keep the strength to keep going, is sometimes I ask the question, what if my faith is keeping someone else going? What if my faith is fueling someone else's faith? There's very likely someone who might have their eye on you just wondering, hoping that you can make it. Hoping or wondering that you won't give up and uh, that you would have the faith to keep going even if it doesn't seem worth it right now to you. Even if you feel like maybe you're not spiritually worth it or that it's not spiritually worth it. Every single week, uh, we participate in this holy practice discipline of communion. And uh, I wanted to kind of set up a certain scenario uh, as they're getting ready for this. You know, this happens uh, in the upper room uh, during the Last Supper. And Jesus knows what's going to happen to him the next day, day and a half. But how about this scenario? Can you imagine... Can you imagine if Jesus had given up? What if Jesus had given up? The night of the Last Supper, when he instituted this practice for his disciples and all of us, uh, he knew what was ahead of him. And scripture said that he was afraid. When he's praying to God, when he's praying to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, a few hours after the Last Supper, he is all alone. He is sweating. It says like this, almost sweating blood. He is that Uh, torn up inside. And he actually prays, Father, if there is any way that I don't have to go through this, then let's make that happen. But if this is the only way, then I'm in. But make no mistake, Jesus was terrified. But we know that Jesus was faithful to the point of death. And when he died, it looked to his disciples that it was all for nothing. When he's dead on a cross and put in a tomb, his disciples likely thinking, well, what were all these years about? What was this all about? He's dead. This is all for nothing. But to borrow borrow a phrase from verse 9, at just the right time, Jesus was resurrected. And this not giving up, this perseverance, this commitment to keep going brings everyone in this room life if we want it. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll have uh, several minutes for uh, just private worship and prayer for yourself. But uh, pray with me if you would. Father, just in this moment alone, uh, many things going in our hearts and our minds, uh, but let us move into a space of gratitude. And let us move into a space of uh, just being completely centered and focused on Jesus. Uh, Thankful for his own faith, thankful for his own uh, determination, and thankful for his, uh, in all his humanity, not giving up, all because he loved us. So help us treat this moment as holy, that we can be inspired by the faith of Jesus ourselves, and even take on some perseverance if that's what we need.
and a knowledge that what we do is not for nothing, but it's for everything. In Jesus' name we pray together. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 a.m.